jumping over hurdles, slowing verbs like a turtle, murk and fool, like squirtle and cake gold, cold blood is with the Stromsky, I'm a boss. This is KDPI 89.3 FM, Ketchum, Idaho. This is Ellie Newman, and welcome to It's Relationship, where we talk about and explore relationships to ourselves, our environment, and others. Thanks for joining us. Today, our guest is Rebecca Rush. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. She's one of the world's preeminent endurance athletes. She's won four straight Leadville 100s, is the course record holder, three-time 24-hour solo mountain bike worlds, the 2011 National Cross Country Single Speed Challenge winner, and a three-time Team 24-Hour champ, as well as the Idaho Cycle Cross and State Short Track champion twice, preceded by a ten, 10 years as a top pro adventure racer, including the Echo Challenge among other noteworthy athletic achievements. So, Rebecca, uh, about a week ago, you crushed the record for the Cocopelli trail ride in Moab. Um, nine days ago, Rebecca set out to break the women's record on the Cocopelli trail, riding from Moab to Frita? Fruta. Fruta. And you said, one of the reasons I chose the challenge was because of the adventure I knew it would be. But nothing could have prepared me for what it truly was, one of the biggest and best challenges I've ever completed. So if you could, would you kind of set the stage for us, tell us a little bit about what, what the race is and, um, or what your challenge was? Yeah, it's actually, um, I'm a professional athlete for a living, and so normally I line up with a lot of other people. But this was an individual time trial, so it was basically me and the clock starting at midnight, um, people have done this route before in an unsupported fashion and they record their times and, you know, the, their records held this way. And so I, I really chose this challenge, um, really as kind of a solitary mission instead of lining up with 2000 people, like at Leadville 100, I really wanted to just be me and the trail and the wilderness and really kind of push myself because, with all events, whether I'm in a race with a bunch of people or by myself, I really do it for me. I'm competing against me. And so this is kind of, it's a really iconic trail, the the Cocopelli from Moab to Fruta. I mean, lots of people know about it. Most people ride it in three or four days. Um, but I ended up doing it nonstop, nonstop and unsupported and really just to push myself out of my elements. And it took you know, it took a lot of my adventure racing experience of being self-supported, filtering water, planning the route, and then also my bike racing experience. So it was really kind of a combo of the two sports that I've I've done for the better part of my adult life. And and so unsupported, does that mean you're there alone? Are, are other people up there with you? Um, well, I started at midnight from Moab, and, and I didn't see anyone on the trail until probably about 10 hours later when I got to the Cocopelli trail system, uh, you know, around noon, one in the afternoon, then I started seeing other people on the trail, but no, it was just me. Um, I had to carry all my own stuff, take everything with me, pack everything out, um, filter water along the way because there's no water stops and sort of the unspoken rules are you, you can't accept help from anyone, um, for it to be a legitimate record. And so, yeah, I was, I was totally alone, which I really enjoyed. And, um, are you a by nature, a very organized person? Uh, if you looked at my um, house, you would say, no, I'm not very organized. There's stacks of paper everywhere and things like that. But when it's something like this, an adventure, um, yes, I my bike was perfectly you know, in order. I had laid out every single item of food that I was going to put in my mouth. You know, I'd really thought out the water filter and practiced with that. Um, when it comes down to 
to an adventure like this, I am really organized because I want to have the right things and I want to take care of myself. And I don't want to be shut down by my equipment going bad or, or some me forgetting to take something. And so in certain ways, I'm really organized. And in other ways, you know, when I get home, you know, my suitcase explodes and it's all over the floor and I never do my laundry. So, so would you make a good pilot? <laughs> like, do you think, or do you ever run out of gas in your car? Is it, is it really just when it comes to, to racing where that, that, uh, skill set sets in? I think it's the things that are really important to me. You know, you, you basically put the time and energy into the things that are important. And this was a really important adventure for me. So I really did think it out. I talked to a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't really run out of gas in my car cause it's a pain in the butt <laughs> and I want to get to where I'm going. So, but yeah, things like paperwork and all that stuff, that's like, ah, that can take a backseat. So, so you had a plan, mm-hmm. and uh, did you ride the plan, or were there some unexpected uh, challenges when you were riding? Um, I mostly rode as planned, but um, like any true adventure, I-, I had never been on the trail. I didn't know one stitch of the trail. Um, I did a little scouting a couple days before. I talked to a lot of other people, including the previous women's record holder, the previous men's record holder, to get some information, but it really was a big blind date. And um, there were adventures from the get-go and unexpected things happening, and I'm actually grateful that those happened because I had to really rise the occasion. A few hours in, I had a bike crash um, in the dark. I just didn't see a mud rut, high-speed descent, um, a really pretty high-speed crash, and went down. My first reaction was, oh, my gosh, is my bike okay? Because I need that thing to finish. Um, (laughs) So not am I okay, but is the bike okay? It was sort of like, oh, that hurt. Oh, is my bike okay? And, you know, kind of, I think I ripped my shorts and then went to grab my bike and realized my finger, my index finger on my left hand was pointing in the wrong direction. Um, So without even thinking, I mean, I, I put that back into place. It was dislocated, sort of back towards the back of my hand, put it into place, grabbed the brakes, the bike seemed okay, and it kept going. I mean, it was probably a 20-second stop. You know, it wasn't really anything. Um, and then had to operate, you know, those brakes with my index finger. I used that for the next 13 hours or 10 hours, basically. Um, and it popped out again. I, when I reached into my jersey pocket, it would come out again, so I stopped doing that and just sort of dealt with that. Um, that was one really unexpected thing that luckily didn't shut me down. And the other one was my light went out at about 4 a.m., um, the headlight that I'm riding by. And uh, so I had no light for two and a half hours till the sun came up. And luckily there was nearly a full moon, so I was able to ride, but it slowed me down a lot. I was running and walking and off my bike and and again, really, and I didn't see a soul during that period. So I had to, those were two pretty big things that kind of, changed the challenge, but I actually, like I said, I'm kind of ha- glad they happened because I rose the occasion and they actually made it more special. And was part of the challenge to have not <clears throat> ridden the trail at all? I mean, that sort of seems like a choice that you made and was it just that ended up how it being coming about or did you make a conscious choice? No, I'm not going to ride the trail before I before I do this. I didn't know in, you know, in perfect preparation, I would have gone out there and ridden sections of it and known it because I definitely had to stop at certain intersections and, oh, is it this way or that way? And it slowed me down. Um, but really it was just juggling and life and I couldn't get out there. And, and the weather has only cleared just recently, um, in the high parts of the course in La Salle's to get on. It's been really muddy up until the day I did it. Um, so part of it was choice. Part of it was I just didn't have the time to get out yeah. there. And I just went for it. And, and I you think went for it. sometimes those are the best things. Like you can plan all you want, but sometimes you just got to go for it. And it, it seems from what you said that two of the sort of highlights where it challenged you the most were because maybe you hadn't memorized the trail 
um, especially when it went dark. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with pain. On your website, I saw a couple places as, as sort of fondly being called the queen of pain. Um, and um, I, I talk a lot about relationships that we're all in the world very differently, and we experience the world differently, and that that's an important thing to remember for all of us most of the time. Um, for instance, with pain, um, to me, when something hurts, you know, it's sort of the body's messaging system to say that should stop, like that's not a good thing, I don't like that, you know, take your hand off the hot stove, I tell my kids. Um, and uh, clearly for you, uh, you have developed or have always had a different relationship with, with pain. That's true. Um, I, and I think you're right. You know, when it comes to the hot stove and those things, it's definitely our clue that our body's telling us, hey, you know, take care of yourself. But I also think sometimes those sensations, especially in an athletic endeavor, they're limiting factors. And, you know, somebody's in a spin class or out on a run. And yes, it does hurt. But if you push a little farther and push through that, I think coming out the other side, all of a sudden your perception of what your limits are are different. You're like, oh, I can run five miles now instead of four. Because you push through that momentary pain, it's what you come through on the other side that I think you come out a bigger person and a stronger person. So were you feeling the finger during the, the, the 10 hours or, or does your body have a different mechanism developed? Yeah, I do feel pain. I definitely felt it and was like, ooh, that's not good. Um, but adrenaline is a very powerful drug. And um, I was so focused on the mission. It, I mean, had it been enough pain that, you know, I really couldn't function, obviously I would have stopped. Every, everyone has a limit somewhere. But it wasn't enough to stop me. And so was like, okay, I've felt worse. I can deal with this. And it was still functioning. And, you know, if I truly had been injuring myself and hurting myself more, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not stupid. I would have, I would have stopped, but it was manageable. It was manageable pain. And I made that conscious decision that, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And, and do you make a conscious decision as well to, to shift your inner, your focus elsewhere? Or does it just sort of automatically is forced to go elsewhere? Because I know there's sort of a metaphysical practice that with, with pain in some part of your body, if you just shift the attention to a different part that feels good, even if it's your, your um, little toe. Absolutely. I think it's why a lot of people train or ride with music or with training partners when there's someone else there with you. It does shift your focus from the pain in your legs or your lungs when you're working really hard. Um, focus has definitely shifted. And I, I think it's important, like I stay in the moment. I didn't ride with music. on. I, I rode with music. It worked for two hours, but then malfunctioned. <laughs> and I'm actually kind of glad that my iPod stopped working because really then I was able to focus instead of relying on um, an artificial distraction. It was me and my head in the moment and, you know, songs come in and out. But so I think it's a dance between ignoring pain, but then also focusing on it, thinking about it, going, oh, I'm okay. Okay. All right. I'll think about something else. Um, so, so it's turning on and off at the same time. I definitely don't tune out a hundred percent. I like to stay focused, but, um, but yeah, you're feeling it. You acknowledge the pain. You're like, okay, is this manageable or is this the point where I need to pull back? And that's getting to know yourself. And there's a difference, I think, also between, well, they're, they're combined in some ways, but between pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. So definitely there's suffering along the way. Um, and that, it, do you deal with that differently than, than the pain? Is music part of dealing with that, a distraction or... Um, 
you know, I, you I like to suffer and, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it's because like I said, I like to suffer because I like who I am when I get through that, when I'm standing at a finish line and I think, man, I just did that. That was really awesome. And the second you stop, the pain and suffering stops. Um, and you can really look back and pat yourself on the back. If it were easy, you went on a, like you go on a stroll, you know, you go on a half hour Sunday stroll. You don't really finish that going, man, I'm awesome. You know, you're like, oh, I'm glad I got out today. Some people might. <laughs> they might. That might be a really big deal for somebody. That might yeah. be their challenge. Yeah. But um, for me, you know. if Not I, in this town. Yeah. It, yeah, we are in Ketchum. <laughs> exactly. But I think the harder that you do push, the reward is better. And the more, kind of the more suffering or the harder you had to work for something, I think the best prize is required the most amount of work and that includes pain and suffering i saw you uh does it have to are there times when when it doesn't or does it does it pretty much that's a, a constant i feel like in even in work you know you work really hard for something and if it were easy it's just not that big of a reward mm-hmm. you're like mm-hmm. hmm, okay i fed the dog today you know i mean it's not a big deal. Right, right. Um, I, I saw you mention on your website, you talked a little bit about dealing with the voices in your head and um, stripping off the exterior to see what's, what's there underneath. Uh, is that a, a big part of why you do these rides? It is. And thinking back to the Cocapelli Trail last weekend, you know, I was utterly alone and focused on one goal. I didn't think once about my cell phone, my work, my email, you know, an offer I put in on a house. I didn't think once about any of those other life distractions. Um, I was just truly in the moment. And I think in this world with iPhones and computers and, and constant, you know, connection that we very rarely turn it all off and get away. And that's my way to do it is to go out in the wilderness, be quiet, just have myself and the sound of my tires, the sound of my breathing. And so a thing, you know, a challenge like the Cocapelli Trail is really where I can just be alone with that. Did you have a phone or any device to communicate to anyone? No, I didn't take my cell phone because I didn't want to pack extra stuff. Like I said, I was carrying everything I needed and I was sort of at the limit. Um, So no cell phone. Um, I was wearing a GPS tracking device so people could follow online and they could see this little dot moving along. And so Greg, my boyfriend and some other people they knew to watch the dot. Greg could see if the dot stopped moving. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And he definitely saw when my light went out, the dot was going very slowly. Uh, um, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, when we come back. Um, before we do, do you have a plan for what's next, the next challenge? You know, um, I'm heading in a week to a training camp with a bunch of Red Bull endurance athletes. It's a, a Red Bull training camp with athletes from around the world and scientists from around the world. So we have a week of them poking and prodding us and pushing us to our limits um, kind of in the name of science, which which is really will be really interesting for me. That, that sounds great. All right, we'll be back in just a minute with Rebecca Rush on its relationship. This is Ellie Newman on KDPI with Its Relationship. I'm here with Rebecca Rush, a uh, preeminent adventure racer, bike racer, and incredible athlete. And uh, I'm just going to ask Rebecca, what what led you to adventure racing? That seemed like kind of the first big um, set of challenges for you. Yeah, I w- you know, as a rock climber, paddler, runner, I've done a lot of sports. And when adventure racing came up and the eco challenges, which... I don't know if people saw those on TV, but they were basically the first reality TV shows um, with Mark Burnett. And, you know, we were unpaid. We were unpaid actors. And adventure racing was basically multi-sport, multi-day. You travel in teams of four, um, usually co-ed teams of four. And you basically don't know where you're going, 
Um, the races could take up to seven to ten days nonstop. And to me, you know, I got invited to be on a team because they needed a girl. They needed, they had to be co-ed. They couldn't find any other girl. And I did, you know, three out of the four sports. I didn't ride a bike at the time. I was a rock climber, paddler, and runner. And they're like, okay, good enough. We'll take you. Um, and I just signed up because it sounded interesting and as a challenge. And, you know, it was a race in California local that I was, you know, living near. And uh, I had no intention of it being a career or anything like that. I was managing a rock climbing gym. So some people came in looking for a girl, like I said. And did you know them? Nope. No, I, I didn't really know them. They came in to learn some climbing stuff. And I was just like, what is this adventure? What is What are you guys doing? You know, and they're like, well, we need a girl for a race. You want to join us? And it was a 24 hour event in Malibu. Um, and so I went, you know, and at the time I hadn't done anything for 24 hours. I didn't even sit on the couch for 24 hours. And I got really nervous ahead of time. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do. Th- I don't even know how to ride a bike. I don't know how to do this. But I ended up being one of the strongest people on the team. You know, it was all guys and me. And during the cycling, they ended up having to tow and pull one of the strongest guys. And I sort of made it on my own two feet. And so it was a big eye-opener for me of, you know, limitations that you put on yourself. I was able to do something I had no idea I could do, learn I had great endurance, and, you know, could just kind of stick with it. And were you noticing that during the race, or was that more of an aha afterwards, where you were like, whoa, like, I was really good at that? It was an aha during the bike section that was at night. I'd never ridden a bicycle at night either, and it was my weakest sport. I borrowed a bike. You know, I seriously didn't ride at all, and the aha came during the weakest, my weakest sport um, where I didn't need help from the guys, and some other guy who was a cyclist actually needed help. And I was like, well, I'm doing okay. And I remember in that event, the way I got into my head, I would count to 100. And I'd be like, we had this huge long climb in the middle of the night. And I said, I'm going to take 100 pedal strokes before I stop. And I'd just count one, one, two, three, four, up to 100 and be like, okay, I'm going to take 100 more before I stop. And I just had this little game in my head. It's interesting. It was the first time I'd done anything like that. And then we ended up winning the event over all these experienced teams and winning an entry to the Eco Challenge in Australia, which my first thought was like, I just did this for 24 hours. There's no way I want to do this for seven days. Like, forget you. Um, And we all talked about it. We actually ended up accepting the invitation because my thought was, well, I've never, you know, I'd like to go to Australia. I'll take the free trip. And I thought that was the end of it. But it was really the start of a really long endurance career that was, has spanned, you know, 15 plus years now. And what would you say is the hard, was or is the hardest part? Has that changed? Like during the first race, what, what was the most difficult? And is that, does that continue to be what's most difficult in the most races for you? The most difficult was the, the doubts that I put on myself. Me going, well, I can't do this. I'm, I can't do this. I'm a girl. I can't keep up with the guys. They're stronger. I don't know how to ride a bicycle. So the most difficult, and it continues to be, is the limitations you put on yourself. And I think why I keep doing this is, I keep needing to learn the lesson that I'm strong, I can do it, I can push myself, and I keep needing to learn that confidence boost. And it's it's very um, addictive. And, and it like I said before, it, it makes me a, a bigger person to keep learning that lesson. And what's the most fun part? Um, or does fun really? Is no, not, it's not absolutely it. fun or I wouldn't do it. You know, I, the places I've been in the world and the people I've met, you know, my best friends are you know, from all these other countries. Um, that part is amazing. The, the sheer unknown of what's around the next corner and 
what are you going to do next? And what race am I going to do next? Like, that's the adventure spirit that I've had since I was a little kid camping in my backyard. You know, I'm going to sleep out overnight. You know, I still have... By yourself? Yeah. You know, and my sister is like, no way, I'm staying inside. And that wanderlust sort of thing has never left me. And that's for sure the best part. And when you were growing up in your childhood, um, did athletics play a big role? Um, I was a tomboy as a kid, for sure. You know, I was in the yard getting dirty and messy. And, you know, we, we went camping every summer. And to me, that was heaven, like playing in the dirt and sleeping in the dirt. Um, but we lived in suburbs of Chicago. So, you know, that was, it wasn't like Idaho. Like going camping was a really big adventure. Um, and I, you know, I played some sports as a kid, but it wasn't really till I got to high school and I joined the cross-country running team that that kind of started my formal formal I guess athletic career and honestly I only joined the I knew nothing about it I joined because our next door neighbor was on the cross-country running team and she told me um one I would never get fat if I joined the (laughs) cross-country running team and as a young girl you know that's something that's in your head unfortunately it's like oh am I going to be fat um and then also she said I would get a free track suit and I thought well there you go sign me up and uh so cross country running was really my first um athletic endeavor and I found out pretty quickly I was better at the longer stuff than the shorter stuff um and kind of always done endurance and from there I never looked back it went from rock climbing paddling running adventure racing now cycling and so you mentioned your sister didn't want to uh, camp outside with you <laughs> and I find myself uh, were your siblings and your parents athletes Nope, nobody in my family was athletic, um, you know, and they still really aren't. Uh, my sister is, is in the military, and uh, she's definitely active, but definitely not athletic in the way that I am. So and, it just kind of came to me. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't shown that the way parents here, you know, especially in this kind of atmosphere, are shown athletics at a really young age. It just, I think it found me. And, and do they get it? Oh, they love it. Yeah. Yeah. And my nieces love it. And, you know, we ride bikes together. And yeah, my mom's been my biggest fan for a long time. She's traveled around the world um, to watch me at races and they they get it. And has it, um, so it seems like, as you you said, it sort of grabbed you and it evolved into something step by step by step by step and more and more and more and became your career. Was there ever a moment where you made a decision and said, yes, this is going to be my career. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forsake other options and and this is the direction I'm going. Yeah, the big decision was um, I was living in L.A. I was part owner and manager of a rock climbing gym, really successful chain of rock climbing gyms there. And after that initial adventure racing experience, um, I got invited on some other teams and then started to form my own women's team, three women, one man, instead of three (laughs) men and one woman. And was like, okay. And basically, I had to make the conscious decision if I wanted to be able to afford to do that and it and take on the travel. I really, the travel was what was drawing me is I knew I had to, um, not have rent or mortgage. And so I quit my really good job and, uh, moved into my car, um, a 1975 Ford Bronco. And I made this decision that I'm going to wander around for a couple years, stay with friends and see what happens. And taking that risk is really what launched, you know, and that was 15 or more years ago that really launched, um, what's turned into a, a really great career. And did you did you sort of weigh what you might have to give up for that? Or was it more, well, no, this is what I have to do to do this? I knew I would be giving up, 
you know, and I called my mom. I said, I'm giving up, you know, a, a decent paying job, security, health insurance. I gave up health insurance, giving up a place to live, a roof over my head. Um, but the payoff was adventure. And kind of in my head, I'm like, I'll do this a year or two, and then I'll, and then I'll get back to have a regular job. That's what I thought would really happen. But it just opened so many doors, I think, by saying yes instead of no. It opens stuff that I never, I never would have imagined this. I never dreamed, oh, I'm going to be a professional athlete. This is the path I'm going to take. I just was living in the moment, and there was no five-year plan. There was no investment plan. It was just having fun. And when you look back, do you think, yeah, good plan, even though it maybe wasn't conscious or the doubts anywhere? Yeah, it's been an awesome plan. I mean, I now I, you know, I own a place, I own a home in the most beautiful place on earth and, you know, can afford to do this for a living and I'm inspiring young girls and the, I mean, the whole metamorphosis of what the career has come full circle, um, leaving LA and living in my car, it, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken those kind of risks. It's completely been worth it. So you said when you, when you fell on the Cocopelli Trail, the first thing you thought about was, is the bike okay? Um, so I just want to talk a little bit before we take a break about your relationship with the bike. Um, well, the bike is my tool. And like I told you before, when I was adventure racing, it was my worst sport. And I absolutely hated mountain biking. I hated it. I can remember riding in Moab, one of the first times I rode in Moab, throwing my bike off the trail, swearing at it, cussing, just saying, this is the worst sport ever. I mean, I came from a cross-country running background where you just put on a pair of shoes. There's no equipment. There's no... Basically, I was really bad at it, and I didn't understand the equipment. And those things really frustrated me. And I got frustrated because I sucked. And because it wasn't working how you wanted it to work? Exactly. It wasn't like... It wasn't easy at all. And so I really didn't like cycling. And So did you decide to become a master of both the, the skill of riding and the, the equipment it, itself? You know, I, I rode because it was part of the adventure racing package, and I wanted to do adventure racing, but I did not embrace it until after um, after I stopped doing that sport. Basically, so you'd, you'd been riding for 10 years at this point? Uh... You could, yeah, so. yeah, about 10-ish years, you know, and basically just dreading that part. You know, when I did my training um, on my own time, I, it was the last thing I would choose was be to ride a bike. Um, you know, I'd run, paddle, do this rock climb, do the stuff that was more So not natural. the best for last, the worst for yeah, last. Yeah, yeah. I did not work on my weaknesses. I didn't enjoy it. Um, and, you know, the real turning point came when, one, when I got, during the adventure racing time, I got a good bike that fit me. The first bike I got was borrowed. I bought it from somebody else. I didn't know anything about it. It was too small. The suspension wasn't right for me. Um, I got a good bike, and that made a big difference um, partway through the adventure racing um, career, but it really wasn't until basically we lost all our adventure racing sponsorship and I was forced to make yet another decision. I had a year left with Red Bull on a contract and, um, and basically we lost all our sponsorship to get our teams to these races and the sport was dying and Red Bull just said, well, do something else for a year and you know, you, we're not going to take away your contract and then we'll reevaluate. And so I thought, all right, great. I'll, I'll play for a year and then I'm going to have to get a real job now. Um, and this was about eight years ago. Um, so I ended up looking for the longest thing I could find because I knew I had the endurance. And the, the longest thing I could find, unfortunately, was 24-hour mountain bike racing. I was like, oh, God. Like, Is that all? Really? <laughs> Isn't there anything else? Can I find anything else? And I really couldn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went to the 24 Hours of Moab with a bunch of friends here from Idaho, um, Muffy Ritz and Caroline Drogi and some other people. And like, well, let's just go do this and see what happens. Um, and my boyfriend, Greg, who was into 
24-hour racing. He crewed for us and everything. He wasn't my boyfriend at the time. I was just going to ask that. No, he was just, oh, this guy knows about 24-hour racing. He'll come help us. And we ended up racing expert. I had the fastest women's laps um, of the whole race. And that included me running all the technical parts. Did that surprise you? Oh, it surprised me like you wouldn't believe. And I thought, well, if I can run all this stuff, you know, I can... If I can learn to ride it, man, I'll be way faster. So I signed up for a 24-hour solo. Um, Greg also crewed for me that that year, right after the Moab event. And I ended up um, beating everyone, including all the men, in that event. Wow. And so I was like, all right, I guess even though I really don't like mountain biking, this is going to be my new sport for a while. <laughs> and I thought it'd just be a year, and then and then it would be over. But like I said, that was eight years later world championships later, Leadville 100 later. And, you know, obviously now the bike is my first choice of sport. So it's come complete circle. And, and I, I heard you say, um, or read somewhere that you said that, uh, your bike was freedom. Um, when did it become that? When I started to realize, I think when I moved to Idaho and I started to realize what's out here and how far I can go and what I can see on my bicycle. I mean, I can't believe, you know, you can ride a mile from town and you're in complete wilderness and you'll see nobody. And I mean, you can do that on foot. You just can't go as far. And and do you road bike at all or is it all mountain biking? I do road bike and I I believe in training on different disciplines. I cycle across a little bit, but really where I live, where we live, the, the special, you know, the real gem is the mountain biking because we have so many trails and, and I do really like getting away from the cars, getting away from the noise and just hearing your dirt and the tires and being alone. Okay. Well, we'll be back in just a moment. This is Ellie Newman with It's Relationship. I am here with Rebecca Rush, a preeminent adventure athlete in long distance. I don't know. Do you call it long distance? What do you call like the, the 24 hours or the 48 hours? Endurance. Endurance. Or ultra, in, endurance. Ul- ultra. We need to put ultra in there. Ultra endurance athlete. Um, you had mentioned riding at night for the for the first time, and I had seen later that now it's your favorite time to ride. So not only now is biking your favorite of the sports, um, but also riding at night. What is it about riding at night? I think it comes to the focus. Um, basically, your light circle is really all that you're looking at. And I found in my 24-hour races where you start at noon and you finish at noon, so you go through the night, I found, and it's on a, a repeat, a lap course, I found that I rode better at night, which was really interesting. And I think what I learned, especially the technical stuff, um, is that I wasn't looking at the distracting, scary cliff off the side or, you know, wasn't looking at the stuff that didn't matter. I was really just looking what I could see in my light and what was in front of me, and I actually rode better. So that was a real kind of epiphany for me of how to technically get better on the bike and not focusing on the bad stuff, but actually focusing where you want to go. So I love that. Yeah, look where you want to go. That's yeah. something in, in all of our relationship is sort of the most important element. It is, and, and being at night on a bike, it forces you to do that. You, it's like having blinders on a horse. You really can't look the other way. You're just going. Do you forget that the cliff is there, or do you just not look at it? You don't see, I mean, I know it's there because I've ridden the course, you know, before, but I think our eyes and our brain, there's some stuff that sub, you know happens without us even thinking about it. So even just seeing something where you're saying, "Oh, I'm not looking, I'm not looking," but you're kind of glancing over and yeah. you're kind of still oh, looking. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah, and so it it really it's like blinders on a horse. It it forces your focus to be just in the beam of your light. And the sound is also different at night. I really love just the intense focus and quiet 
And, um, you know, I've had an owl fly in front of me riding at night. It's just a really special experience. And even on your home trails, if you go ride, you know, something like Corral Creek or something you've ridden a million times and you you take the light away and ride it by, by headlamp, it opens up a whole new experience. And it's, I've found, it's just exciting. You ride into town at night with your light. You feel like you're a little kid again. It, it feels you know, like you a have video that, game. Yeah, you've got that buzz, that buzz of excitement. And, it, you know, riding should be that. It should be like your first kid. You know, when you took the training wheels off or you, you took your own pedal stroke and the elation and the wind in your hair that you felt. I mean, that's what people, that's what I try to recreate riding in a bike. And, yeah absolutely at night brings that out enlivened and that that's a feat that you're you're creating that feeling of being enlivened when you're pain in pain and suffering and you have 20 more hours to go so that's pretty incredible in and of itself um when you're out in nature do you think of nature as a friend or a foe is it something that you're going out there to conquer or or is it something to kind of collaborate with and experience in in your adventure you can't ever conquer Mother Nature. She's way stronger than all of us. And, you know, I've learned that in my adventure racing experience. I've learned that living in Idaho, basically never riding without a rain jacket. Um, you know, you have to work within the elements that you're in. Um, anyone who's a surfer or a paddler knows that with, with white water, you know, you can't actually fight through it. You have to find the way to actually move with the water. And, you know, a, a friend of mine who was... um one of my mechanics for many years for all of my 24-hour worlds experiences really good technical rider jason from uh, boise from georgia's down there he said to me because i was struggling with a you know technical section and he said you know think about it as you're like water running over the rocks and i try to bring that visual up when i'm struggling on a technical section instead of bashing through Mm -hmm. and fighting it i try to think of myself as water through the rocks and i think anything in nature is like that you have to be prepared bring a rain jacket you know be ready because stuff will happen um and be ready to deal with it and i actually really i really like in races when it's going to rain or snow or i've said that the last few leadvilles i'm like i really want it not to be perfect race temperature because i think it separates you know the players from the people who who fold to that stuff who either aren't prepared or they can't take it mentally or they're like oh, i'm freezing cold not that i don't feel cold but i think um it, it really makes people step up to the occasion if they can deal with the elements or if they can't well and and you've shown yourself and all the rest of us that that's what you can do right you step up and and you like bring it on bring on the next thing because i want to step up to that I try to look at it that way. It's not, like I said, it's not that I want to be freezing cold or not be able to feel my hands, but I do like the challenge. And it was like on the Coca Pelli Trail. When my light went out, it was like, wow, this is bad. It's but like, good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't celebrating, but yeah. I was like, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Yeah. You know? And then when the sun came up, I was like, all right, I'm still here. I've yeah. made it through. Yeah. Um, you said uh, tapping into who I am as a person, you never get to that place in normal life. And that's the place that's nirvana. Um, what do you think stops you from it? First of all, what's a normal life and, uh, that, that you aren't experiencing it in and, and what stops you from experiencing that in a normal life? What's the the barriers? I guess by normal life, what I was saying is our day to day, our usual, you know, we get up, people take the kids to school, you go to work, you do your laundry, you know, you go to the grocery store, um, all just the kind of the day to day ho-hum, you know, just like living and boring, the boring stuff. You know, (laughs) it has to be done. You've got to balance your checkbook. You've got to do all that stuff. You know, you've got to clean the toilets in the house and, you know, but yeah, we don't really push ourselves as people during our day-to-day activities. And so that's why I, 
you know, I think it's really important, even if, if that's your lifestyle and you have one hour a day, but you go make that a really good hour where physically you're pushing yourself and you're just alone in that moment without a cell phone, without maybe without music. Um, and you just have that moment of quiet and, and being a whole person without distraction. I think that's important. And would you say, we, we talked on the show before about um, finding your element, that place where your skills and your passion meets. And you are often, when you're in that activity, you're in what they call the zone. Is that biking for you? Is that any any sport? You know, it's been, in the past, it's been rock climbing, it's been paddling, it's been cycling, running. You know, I've experienced it in a lot of places. Um, and that's why I like to do a lot of different sports, cross-country skiing, but yeah, it suddenly it's not a struggle or pain or um, suffering. All of a sudden, you're clicking, and the time on your watch is flying by. You don't even think about looking at your watch. Whereas there's other times you're out skiing or doing whatever. You're like, "Wow, it's only been three minutes! Oh my gosh!" <laughs> and that's when you're not in the zone. But but when you really find that, and yeah, you're not afraid. You're 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 heightened. You're aware. Um, that's definitely the zone and, and it's elusive. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I think those are the things that keep me coming back, going through the difficult workouts where I'm not motivated. It's sometimes not as much fun, but I'm always chasing that, you know, that zone or that nirvana moment. So, so you're chasing it. That's my next question. Are, are you in it? It was a little bit facetious, but if you're running from or to, but, uh, you just answered it. You're, you're running to, not from, um, You've mentioned, too, that you don't believe that you are, that your success is really based on your natural talent, that it's more your, your grit, your um, not quitting and, and um, pressing forward. you you got to have some natural talent in there, right? Um, well, I'll tell you, um, I have asthma. I don't test very well in the VO2 max testing. You know, I'm, I'm sort of above average, but I'm definitely, as a professional athlete, not in these super high zones with power output, um, things like that. Um, so with Red Bull performance testing, I don't test off the charts for sure. I mean, we've all read of other athletes who are like, oh, my God, their VO2 max is like, you know, the 0.11 percentile or whatever, 99 percentile. Um, I definitely don't have those. And you've got to explain what VO2 max is for people who don't live in Ketchum. Okay. So that's <laughs> basically how your body processes oxygen and moves the blood through your body. And it deals with lung capacity and basically how efficient you are as a human machine. Um, in generally men have a better VO2 max than women just by sh the sheer size of their lungs. Um, and then it comes down to other internal factors of how good you are at basically processing oxygen. Um, and that can be trained, but people are really born one with some of those traits or not. We've all seen gifted kids, kids who just seem are really gifted athletes or whatever. It's just natural to them. So, I don't have those kind of numbers, physio physiological numbers that are off the charts. And then also, you know, like I said, mountain biking has been my worst sport for a long time. I'm not technically gifted. I've struggled really hard and I still get passed on downhills because that's not my strong point. And is that something then that you think that you've developed or did, did that come with your package? Like, have you always, since you were a kid, have you had that determination, that grit, that stick to it, that perseverance pushing through or, or has that something you've developed? I, well, I think both. I definitely was born with that perseverance of being a little bit of a stubborn kid and staying out past dark and, you know, um, 
in, in running cross country, not quitting. I, I've quit one race in my life, and it was in high school, and I still remember it. Um, I've quit one race for no reason in my life. I basically just stepped off the course because I wasn't doing well. I wasn't up with the other girls that I normally ran with, and I was mad, and I was in, mad at myself. And like, you know, basically, you almost said embarrassed. I well, I was embarrassed when I was done. Basically, uh -huh. I, I made the choice to step off the course because I wasn't doing well. And how old were you? I was in high school, like junior in high school. And afterwards, my coach, my teammates, my mom, everybody come up to me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was embarrassed because I had no answer to give them. I wasn't mm -hmm. hurt. I just quit because I was doing badly. And that memory is burned in my consciousness. And so I'm not a quitter. But so you didn't want that again? I don't want that feeling of having to look at my friends or people and, and oh, are you okay? Why'd you quit? And just saying, I quit because I was mentally weak. And so I think I was born with some of the stubbornness, but then I really think I've learned it. And so I've done races where they're cleaning. When I first learned to cross country ski, they're cleaning up the finish mm -hmm. line and all the 12 year old kids have passed. Everybody's gone. They're cleaning up and there I come in, but I didn't quit. I would much rather finish last than, you know, than to quit. And, and how about a, a sense of confidence? Do you feel like you had that since you were young? Is that something that's also kind of self-confidence ground or your lack of, of fear? You know, yeah, I'll go out and stay the night out there. I'll go up to the Moab and the Cocopelli Trail by myself. I'm, I'm good with that. That That's a real inner strength. And, and um, maybe you have fear and power through it anyway, but it's certainly a, um, a strong way of dealing with fear if it's there. I, I would say I'm I'm very fearful and have a severe lack of confidence. So opposite of what people huh. might think. And it's the reason, again, why I go and do these things that scare me. I do these things that I'm not sure of um, because I like who I am when I push through them and come out the other side. I like that person that I find. And I need to keep developing that confidence and learning that lesson of going, oh, okay, I really can do this. So you don't have those feelings when you're starting. You have those feelings at that's what you're running to or biking to is to that feeling. Yeah. I mean, oh, before Cocapelli, I was extremely insecure about my preparation. Like you said, I hadn't been on the course. There were a lot of things that I hadn't done the right way. I didn't feel like I was very fit. It's early season in Idaho. You know, there were a lot of reasonable things to be afraid of. <laughs> absolutely. And so I went in there with a huge lack of confidence, even though all my friends are like, oh, you'll do it. No problem. You know, it, for sure, I did not feel like this was a no-brainer. So then, if you know, what, what's the factor that leads you to then do it? Whereas someone else who might not have the confidence and might have those fears, it stops them. What's either the barrier that you step over or, or the, 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 the experience that gets you to say, oh, well, I feel all this, but I'm going to do it anyway? I'm not afraid of the challenge, and I'm not afraid to fail. You know, I think a lot of people, they don't step out and take a risk. They don't sign up for a race or an event because, one, they don't want to be last. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to, you know, um, embarrass themselves. And I'm okay with that. Like I said, I would rather try something and have failed than to never have tried it. And is that something you think you got um, growing up, that, that it was okay to fail? Or is that inherent? It's a really interesting question. I mean, my mom has always been super supportive of whatever I've done, you know, win or lose. She's always been there waiting for me at the finish line, um, which is great. And it is great. Yeah. And, and, you know, we grew up, um, my sister and I, uh, at, at home kids without, you know, mom was at work, dad wasn't around. And so there was definitely a sense of independence and like, well, you better figure this out. Cause 
nobody is around to kind of swoop you up or or scrape you know mm-hmm. wipe the blood off your knee and so a lot of that sort of grit I think was developed as a kid you mentioned uh, what's next was this ride with um, the Red Bull performance team poking at your brain is that the uh, neurotopia um, Red Bull it's it's not neurotopia Red Bull is is pretty cool because they offer some things to their athletes that are just amazing one of the things the neurotopia that you're referring to is brain training and so I've gone down to LA they and they basically strap you up um, all these electrodes on your head and you play a video game without touching any controls. It's so trippy, but you sit there and you look at this little spaceship or a car and they just say, well, fly the car or drive the car or fly the spaceship. And they're taking, they're taking all these readings on your brain based on focus, reaction time, endurance, all those things. And a guy behind the computer is basically making it harder or easier depending on how you're doing. And sort of when you try too hard or you lose focus, the car sputters and dies. And then when you're in that zone, and this is how I think about when I'm racing, is it's basically just recreating that zone where it's the perfect amount of relaxation versus intensity and focus. Not too much, not too little. And they're seeing, I mean, our brain is our most powerful tool or our biggest enemy 100% of the time. And so the stronger, and visualization has always been around for sports, but this is just the actual next step of scientific visualization. So that's part of what Red Bull offers. They're also going to take us to this training camp and look at all sorts of things like blood lactate threshold levels. They're going to push us in Mammoth and take us up to altitude, down low, make us ride our bikes a ton, and then kind of see what happens to us. So we'll be kind of human guinea pigs for the, the week, but it'll be really interesting. And, and do you typically utilize visualizations either before your races or during your races? I do a lot. And then when I'm in the race, I'm definitely trying to find that place where, especially in endurance, you want to work hard, but save your energy. So it's this efficiency that's really important. So we all know if you're like really stressed out, you're trying too hard, gripping the handlebars too hard, you're actually burning calories and wasting energy. Um, and if you're on a really long ride, even just a short ride, you're, you're waste, it's being wasteful. So I think about a lot, really efficiency, and like I said, like water over the rocks and getting there the smoothest, fastest way with the least amount of energy. And did you employ that technique when you were hooked up to the machines and focusing water over the rocks? And then could you see the effects on on the screen? I did. I would actually kind of pretend like it was a mountain bike. And even though I was driving this little race car, I was kind of, I could tell my, see, feel myself moving in the chair like as if I was on a mountain bike. And oh, so incredible. I was definitely connecting both. So we're almost out of time. Before before we go, though, I, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with the community because I'm thinking I'd just be sitting on the couch for that 24 hours in the next two weeks after after I did what you do, but you don't. Um, I've got a list here of, I don't know, 10 different organizations that you're involved with. Um, you're a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter, an EMT. You're involved with the BCRD Trail Program, the Wood River Bike Coalition, honorary board chair of the International Mountain Bike Association, um, Wheels, Wheel Girls, Gold Rush Tour, SRAM, and uh, the World Bi- Bicycle Rele- Relief. Um, if we could start with that, I-, I liked you said it was a hand up versus a hand out. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that program? 
Yeah, World Bicycle Relief um, is sponsored through SRAM, which is one of my, you know, supporting sponsors. And they basically provide bikes, mechanics, education um, on how to work on those bikes for people in Africa so that girls can get to school, so women can do their chores. So um, basically just to make life easier um, and more efficient for, for people in Africa. And what's been really cool is they don't just give them money or charity or the bikes. They actually teach them how to be mechanics. The people have to apply to get the bicycle. Um, um, you know, through an application process. And when they get it, they have to show that they're using it. And so it's really kind of empowering people instead of just giving a charity donation. It's helping change that culture. And the bicycle is such a powerful tool. It has been for centuries. Um, and in Africa, the end result is, like I said, it's it's allowing girls to get to school and get an education and finish their education. Um, and that's, you know, 20, 30 years from now, you're, you're going to see see the results the fruits of that labor which is really amazing so i'm super happy to be part of stuff like that and how about the the gold rush tour you got to tell us a little bit about that the gold rush tour is um a women's program that i devised on my own um it's a series of seven or eight events each year it's going into its third year and they're all different i do some a local girls rides here called the wheel girls um I do a lot of festival events where I offer free training clinics to just to get women on bikes. And the whole idea is just to open the doors, make it more accessible, because I see women all the time who are intimidated by cycling or they learn from their boyfriend or, or they're just afraid to get on a bike. And it goes back to me, my frustration of throwing my bike down that Moab Trail. It was because I didn't understand the equipment. I didn't know how to change a tire. I didn't know how to ask. And it was bad. And so, but breaking down those barriers for women and just make it easy and fun and get them on a bike, um, then I believe getting more women on two wheels is is a great thing. And so the Gold Rush Tour is just all about um, inviting women into the community and getting them out there, giving pro female athletes a voice and exposure, getting young girls in, um, giving female media who cover cycling some work and exposure. So it's really building the women's community in cycling. And do you feel like there's been a change that, that you've, I'm sure, helped to propagate in the endurance uh, athlete, pros or non-pros, um, the division between men and women? There are a lot more women showing up and at start lines and on the trailhead and buying bicycles, which is, is great. Um and we all line up together, which is, is funny, too. I mean, I've chicked a lot of guys, um, <laughs> which is, is pretty fun. I like the fact that in endurance racing, everybody races together. It's not separate male-female um, start lines. And I think that that's healthy for everyone because we're all just riding together and having Do, fun. do you chick your boyfriend? <laughs> Isn't that Yes and no. It really depends. <laughs> About half the time he beats me. If it's shorter, he'll beat me. If it's uh -huh. longer, I'll beat him. That's maybe a good balance. It might, might be tough the other way. Um, I have one, one last question. Uh, you had said uh, lining up for a race and putting yourself to the test physically and mentally is one of the most valuable things we can do as humans. So I got, I got to ask why. Why is my question? Why? Because taking a risk is how you grow as a person doing something that's a little scary um you're unsure of like my cocapelli trail um that's where you grow as a person well thank you so much it's been so wonderful to have you this is kdpi 89.3 fm ketchum idaho mm -hmm. 